Today is Thursday, December 21st, 2024, and you have found the Living Youth Podcast. I'm here, as always, with my podcast co-host, Mr. Wallace G. Smith. Mr. Smith, how are you doing this afternoon? I am I'm doing really well. It's been a busy day. It has. I think uh, my to-do list is virtually untouched, and yet it's you're, you're doing things, just the things you wanted to do haven't been done yet. So, but regardless... <clears throat> Thank you, Mr. Robinson. You're welcome. It's been a very good day. Do we uh, do we have guests or anything today? Should we? What should we do? We do. We're talking to each other like there's no one else here at the table, <laughs> but there is someone here at the table. We are privileged to be joined by Mr. Gerald Weston, presiding evangelist of the Living Church of God. Mr. Weston, you want to say hello to everyone? Well, hello, everyone, and uh, hello to the two of you. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Uh-huh. All right. Well, we have Mr. Weston in the podcast area today. Actually, to revisit an old topic, uh, some of you might remember we had a podcast titled, How Can I Have Hope for My Future? And Mr. Weston, not only, not because of our podcast, but addressed this topic recently in the council. He addressed it in a sermon and in an article that's coming to a Living Church News near you mm-hmm. uh, for January, February. And I always thought it was wonderful because when we did this topic, literally, Mr. Robinson and I thought it'd be wonderful to have Mr. Weston be able to talk about this topic. And what do you know? He's here and he's going to talk about it. So let's get going. Let's go. Welcome back. And I mentioned a while ago that Mr. Weston has written an article and I have it in front of me. Uh, you don't have it in front of you yet. It should be coming out in January, February, the Living Church News. And it's titled A Young Lady's Questions. And uh, Mr. Weston, I, I, if I recall properly, and if I, from what you said here, and even when you mentioned it in our council meetings, this was an actual letter sent to you by a young person way back in Kansas City. Is that right? Oh, that's correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She wrote it anonymously, but I, I knew who she was. And I, I, <laughs> I don't remember why I knew who she was, but I did. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny when you're in a congregation long enough, you know, everybody well enough, and sometimes they can leave their name off, but you mm-hmm. still know exactly who that is. But I, I appreciate it when you first brought it up and then you've continued revisiting it because it resonated with me because it sounded so similar in so many ways to here we are. Cause that was Kansas city while you, so that was that mm-hmm. back in worldwide church of God. Days? That was probably about 30 years ago. Wow. Well, here we go 30 years later, Mm -hmm. and then this young adult wrote us back for this podcast and virtually the same kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was, it just, it just helped to highlight how on target you are because the circumstances change, the world changes, but young individuals' questions are are about the same. Um, And in this case, boy, one thing I do appreciate about younger people is sometimes they don't hold back on you. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes I feel like uh, even I, as an adult, I ask a question, but I don't want to put the guy on the spot, you know? So I don't completely ask it in its hardest form. I even try to suggest a direction he might go, but man, sometimes young people, they're not that concerned with that. They just put you right there on the spot and and you have to be upfront. And some things are speculation. Some things aren't. Uh, you want to make sure you're giving the truth, but highlighting what you know and don't know. And from your own article, Mr. Robinson had found a, a, a something you said that seemed worthwhile that was related to that. What was that, Mr. Robinson? So this is actually a direct quote from the article, but I, I put it at the top, top of my podcast prep because I thought it was a, a good reminder and a, and a good thing to introduce the topic with. And in his article, Mr. Weston says, The truth is that we do not know the answers to every question in this teenager's letter, but we know some and can address others appropriately. 
And I, I liked putting the boundaries on it that we do we do have a lot of answers. We, we There's a lot of things we can understand, but at the end of the day, there's just some things we will not know until we've been through it. And, uh, and I thought I might mention one of the reasons I've, I love this topic, you know, why we did a podcast on it and, and why you were writing about it was 30 years ago, I was 23. So at 23, I was not married yet. That was still two years away. And I was, I, the thing is the, the early nineties was a time that was a real relative, like the, the, the Soviet union had collapsed. Uh, the United States was the unchallenged superpower. It appeared there was going to be peace and, and prosperity for, for my lifetime, as far as I could see. And um, and so one of the things I wanted to mention is that while this was on my mind, I, I did think the same thing. I was like, well, you know, what if Christ returns before I get to experience uh, marriage, children, all that kind of thing? And one of the things I would say now, 30 years down the road, is that I, I had to realize is that th- this time period of relative peace and prosperity is rare in, in human history. You go study most of human history, and there, there obviously were pockets of prosperity here and there in the Roman Empire. If you were Roman, that was great. But a lot of other people suffered and didn't have a good life. And so I realized, oh, wow, I've, I've been blessed to live in an incredible time. But what if I didn't live in an incredible time? And that would shape my thoughts and wonders about maybe maybe suddenly I'm much more anxious that Christ returns because maybe I, I feel like I don't have a future because things look so bleak. Uh-huh. Yeah, you had noted an observation from Mr. Apartian. Oh, you, what yes. was that? Actually, so uh, I, this was a sermon Mr. Apartian did, and I, th- I honestly think this was probably in the 90s. And he said, he said to me, I'll try not to do a French accent. <laughs> <laughs> he, he said in the sermon, he said, you know, every so often I have a young person say, I don't want Christ to return yet. I'm not ready. Hmm. And I'm just quoting him here. Okay. He said that that mindset was selfish, whether you realize it or not. And he said, you should travel to Haiti one time in your life. And he said, if you do, you'll get down on your knees on the tarmac and, and pray to God that Christ would return. And that really hit me at that time because my life was starting. And I do think by then I was married, um, but I had never thought of it that way before. And I'm not trying to say people who ask this question are selfish, crystal clear. Like I understood the mindset entirely. But man, that's because I live in a prosperous, peaceful society. What about the people that don't? Yeah. And, you know, Mr. Weston, you've experienced a lot more of the world in different countries. And I'll give you, you're a little older uh, also. But do you, do you see that being a factor sometimes in these questions that part of it is a matter of perspective that maybe we're asking these questions from kind of a nice cushy place in a Western country? Well, it's kind of interesting after I gave a sermon on this subject, uh, the title of which was, uh, will the return of Christ mess up your life? <laughs> um, one of our, our young ladies wrote a very nice email to me and she just really confessed. Uh, this was one who's early, early to mid twenties. She confessed, I guess I can use that term, that uh, she realized how selfish she's been. Really? And, um, you know, I I don't like to think of people as being selfish at that. They're they're just, it's where they are, where where you come from. And um, I think it's maybe short-sighted or lacking in full understanding as opposed to being just selfish as such, because... How can you know if you've not experienced some of these other places? And you're looking at life as you see it in, in front of you. And it's a lack of maturity. 
And when we say lack of maturity, even that sounds awful. Uh, and it's not. It's it's a lack of the ability to be able to perceive things beyond your current situation. Right. You know, okay, uh, I'll show my age a little bit here. There's a song by Cat Stevens, right? Cat Stevens? The, yeah. The Year of the Cat? Where are we going with this? I don't know. I got a title. Cats in the Cradle? No, no, no. no. <laughs> but there's, there's – uh, one of the lines, one of his songs is he's talking to a younger person. He says, you're still young. Um, that's, that's your fault, but there's so much you haven't been through. Mm-hmm. He's not holding it against, I can't, I'm afraid the rest of the song might be terrible. So please keep in mind, I'm not endorsing the whole song, but I remember even listening to that in college and recognizing, yeah, you know, you're, you have a perspective when you're young and Hey, being young is on you. You know, it's not, you know, it's not someone, it's not someone's fault. It's, it's, it's you, but it just means you don't know as much, you know? And, and so at the same time, that's going to change. You're going to learn more. It does remind me of a, a quote from your article, uh, Mr. Weston, that John helpfully put here in our, our show prep, where he wrote, uh, you wrote, an industrious young man in his early 20s expressed it even more openly to me. You and my father want Christ to return but I don't want him to come right now. I want to have time to get married, have children and make my mark in the world. And then you you comment, you say, this was an honest expression of how he sincerely felt at his stage in life. He wanted Christ to return, just not right then. This young man did get married, had children and built a successful business from scratch with scores of employees. And over time, he, like so many of us, learned that life in the here and now was not all he expected it to be. He eventually, you said, walked away from the business he built and one of his children had serious health issues. Life has a way of beating us up. Is that Mm -hmm. kind of the perspective you're expressing here? Absolutely. In fact, when I wrote that or spoke that, the the emphasis in his comment was make my mark in the world, more more than Mm -hmm. even getting married and having children. It was he wanted to make his mark in the world. And and frankly, I could have probably given him better advice at the time, and that is simply this, that God is going to give us the opportunity to, um, maybe it's not the right expression, make our mark uh, in the world uh, in the future, far more than we can now. Uh, we, we're going to look back on whatever we accomplish in this physical life, and it's going to be pretty small. It's kind of like a little child that um, makes a a present for for mom and dad uh, when he's five years old or seven years old uh, compared to, um, you know, a fantastic work of art later on. Well, you know, okay. I, cause I was just talking with, uh, mentioned that uh, Tarek is is here mm-hmm. for the weekend and came by and we were talking about that. And that's one of the observations that I, I think comes out in your, in your article and something that also Mrs. Robinson uh, had, had brought up concerning King David Here's King David, a man who did mm-hmm. make a mark in the world. I mean, even if, if you put his sin aside mm-hmm. and just focus on the fact that he reigned over God's own, you know, physical nation here on earth and has left a, a literally this Sabbath will be singing hymns that are based on the songs he wrote. Right. So he, there is a man who, who made a mark in this world and no one could say he had a boring life. He had an adventurous, even terrifying at times light. You know, he, he had an amazing life, if you will, just from a worldly perspective. And yet in the Psalms, he says, a day in your courts will be better, better than a thousand days of this life. There was not, even though he had that kind of adventure, 
had, well, we'd say wives, plural, but you know, he definitely had the things this world has to offer. And yet he still longed for that, that future estate because it's, he, cause he knew it was going to be so much better than this one. And I think that's part of the, what I don't gather, what I don't gather you're saying is at least two things. One, it doesn't sound like you're, you're knocking those kind of, uh, those kind of feelings and wanting to accomplish something in the world in, in this day and age. It doesn't sound like you're necessarily saying that's a bad, that's a bad no, feeling, not, right? Not at all. No, no. In fact, I think that God put that within us, the desire to, to excel, to accomplish and to build. Uh, when, when you look at the progress that man has made on this earth in a physical way, uh, that's only possible because God has put within us the intellect and also uh, for, for many people the drive to be able to accomplish those things. God doesn't want us just to just sit around and do nothing between now and the time of his, his son's return. But I guess the, the, the big thing is that <clears throat> when we are spirit beings in the kingdom of God, the accomplishments that we'll have then will be so great in comparison to anything that we do now that it'll just seem minor in comparison. But that's not something that we can easily see. Um, I, I say easily see. Moses in Psalm, not Psalm, but uh, Hebrews 11, it talks about how he, he, he could see a, the vision of a, of a kingdom, uh, a city, uh, not exactly quoting it accurately here, but he, he saw something in the future. And, and yet Moses uh, still accomplished things in, in life, and especially when God got a hold of him and uh, he, he could see that. So there, there's, a, there's a desire for all of us, I hope, in this life to accomplish something. There's nothing worse than a young man who has no ambition whatsoever. Uh, those individuals are unhappy, unsatisfied, and so forth. But we ought to have some some drive to accomplish in this life. But we also must see that this life is temporary and that what God is holding out for us in the future is is far greater than anything we can have in this life. I I have a scripture, if I may, that I don't I think, know if we read Bible verses. <laughs> well, I was gonna, I wasn't gonna say, but I like how you and I have all this prep we've done, and we have our laptops out and everything. And Mr. Weston shows up with a Bible. That's <laughs> that's his show prep. Because <laughs> um, I I thought about the scripture, and I mean, like twenty years ago, this was another one that was um, clarifying for me to help me put things in perspective. And it's it's where Christ is putting in perspective being. Being successful in this, at least this is the way I look at it, having notoriety and success in this lifetime versus being in the kingdom. And it's Matthew 11, 11. And, and I think of this whole thing, he's really indicting the, the Pharisees for some of their mindset was what's going on. But he says, assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And, you know, to mm-hmm. me, you know, he's saying, hey, you, you, you know, what's impressive to people here being the most amazing prophet of all time, you know, being the greatest prophet of all time. And that would be a big deal to people. And it is, but Christ is putting it in perspective for everybody here. And it's like, while he would be, he is the most amazing one, nothing pennies on the dollar compared to the least mm-hmm. in the kingdom of God. And that really hit me. And, and like the vast gulf between, because so here's one of the things I think about being a sports guy. Um, 
you know, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, all these extremely successful guys at, at basketball, they've reached the pinnacle. They are the best. They've won world championships. And it's one of the other scriptures I think about where Christ says, you know, I think it's to the Pharisees again. He says, you know, so they, I think it was, uh, actually I added it in here. Let's see. Uh, Matthew six sixteen. just reference it. When they're fasting and they're making a big outward show of it, he says, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And so well, what if I sacrificed everything so I could be the greatest basketball player in the world? Well, that would be my reward. I was extremely successful and I was a great basketball player and I won a title. Guess what? In the kingdom, I, I don't think we're going to be going back through sports history. Probably. Right. I, you know, I don't know. I, I could be wrong, right, but, right. but like that's an insignificant achievement compared to making in an, into the kingdom of God. Yeah. You know, it, it kind of, for those, for instance, who, uh, uh, they're so, I would say desperate to, to, to marry or date that girl outside of the church or to, to do this. And so they make sacrifices, sacrificing their faith to pursue this other. Well, in the end, you might think, oh, good. And I, I have the, the, the exact marriage I wanted to the person mm-hmm. that seemed so sparkly and wonderful, you know, before this. Well, then is that your reward? Because it's, it doesn't even come close to the compare. It's like, it's like a Esau is a soup. It doesn't come close even in comparison right, to what's coming. Right. Now, part of the challenge I think is because it is hard to imagine what is being held out to us in eternity. But the example I just gave, cause I like to think about uh, the star, the universe. I like to think about that kind of thing a lot. And Tarek literally just a while ago as he was visiting said, he was talking about a night sky. He could see all the stars and think, what are you, what do you think God wants us to do with all that? And I said, well, look, I can tell you what I think, what I imagine. But the good news, I think, is that no matter what I imagine, it's always going to be better than that. I'm never going to imagine something so great that when I'm, we're finally there in the kingdom, I'll be thinking, oh, well, this is kind of a let down. You know, right. this isn't quite as good as I imagine. And the analogy that I came up with, as strange as that is, trying to think how God says his thoughts are greater than our thoughts. And just how great is that? Well, I said, imagine if you could talk with a jellyfish like Dr. Doolittle and you could talk to the jellyfish with a microphone or something and say, hey, jellyfish, I'm going to make you more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Like me as a, as a human being, what do you think? What do you think your future holds? And the jellyfish might think, why? Just think of how much how much fish I could wrap up in my tentacles. I bet I could really stuff more fish than any jellyfish ever has into my gelatinous core. And of course. None of us are thinking of that. We're, we're, our thoughts are so much greater, but the jellyfish is only limited by being a jellyfish. There's only so much it could possibly imagine. And so jellyfish kingdom of God would be all the fish you could ever imagine, you know, jammed into your gelatinous core. And I do wonder, well, how far off are we even? Because what God is holding out to us is literally eternity. And it's not to denigrate the joys of this life, it's to put them in perspective I think that the tr- what the truth helps us do is see these joys as an opportunity to prepare for those greater things. Not only does it put the things in this life in perspective, but it also kind of adds a layer of meaning that they they don't otherwise have. You know, there's a a song you probably I'm sure you've heard of it. Is that all there is? And uh, it, it she talks about how thus and such she's looking forward to then. She gets it, and is that all there is? It's almost always disappointing in this physical life. It's kind of like taking a trip. Uh, oftentimes, the the greatest reward is the planning and the traveling right. to where you go as opposed to once you arrive. 
I, I think that there are two things. One one sense of that whole song is that that there's nothing in the future that's worth worthwhile, and I think that that's a satanic, uh, subtle uh, approach to things to think that well, when even the kingdom of God, when you get there, will that be all there is? Right. And we're going to be. Uh, it's not going to be that way. But so many things in life that seem so important right now. Once we have them, we find that, okay, they may be wonderful, uh, certainly marriage is, but marriage has its, uh, its downside to it. I often ask people when they get married, what do they have to give up? And they, they don't think that they have to give up anything, uh, but they, they give up a certain amount of autonomy. Uh, as one lady one time said, well, I can't hang my pictures just any place I want to. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, it, it it is a problem because it isn't everything that we think is. It's not going to satisfy all of our desires and all of our needs. And it's it's a wonderful thing. And a young person looks forward to that. God put that in us to desire to get married, desire to have children, the desire for intimacy. And we'll use that term here, intimacy. And it's a good thing, and God wants us to think about those things. And I, I'm sure that God enjoys a, a young lady or young fellow planning a future and looking forward to that special person in, in his or her life. But, you know, a 10-year-old doesn't look back and say, well, I wish I could be five years old again. Right. Or, or a 20-year-old, a 10-year-old, or, or a 40-year-old, a 30-year-old. Now, when you get to be 60 or 70, to be a 20-year-old again, well, that, that's, that has some attraction to it. Uh, at least you want the the uh, physical health you had back then. Knowing but, what you know now. Going right. Back. You'd, you'd want to have all the knowledge that you have yeah. uh, going back. But it's it's impossible for a young person to fully put themselves into that mindset of what is the unknown in the future. We can't even do it as as adults. But we can at least intellectually understand those things. I think one of the interesting things about this letter 30 years ago, and I say 30, it it could be 32, 28, whatever it was, um, is that that was the thinking back then, and this person's worried about something that never came to pass. Now, I do think that we are living in a very, very different time, but I, I remember back in the 60s, late 60s and early 70s, it was a, it was a rough time. I mean, there, there were bombings, there were shootings, there were uh, riots in the streets, and, uh, you know, worse than, than the George Floyd situation uh, in, in many parts of the United States, Watts mm. and, and California and, and Detroit and in many cities. So it looked like the end would come, and, and that was my generation. But here we are, uh, let's say 1969 when I graduated from, from college, and now what is it, 2000, almost 2024. So we don't know how much time there is. I, I don't want people to think, that, oh, that we're just going to go on forever. Because at some point in time, one of these generations is going to have some, some time cut short. But the main thing is that they don't live their lives in fear of that. Right. Well, what Mr. Armstrong say, uh, you, you'll probably be able to phrase it better than I did, but you know, pray as if Christ is coming tomorrow, but work hard and plan your life as if he's not coming for quite some time. It was something like that. Yeah. Uh, well, it was uh, prepare for Christ's return. Uh, you know, you could die tonight. Uh, prepare for Christ's return at any time, although he knew that Christ wouldn't come at just any time, of course. But he said, live as though 
you know, it'd be another hundred years or so. I don't remember the exact amount of time. And there were people back then in the, the 60s and early 70s that thought, oh, well, the end is going to come. And they, they didn't get education. They didn't get their teeth fixed. I don't know how many people were like that, <laughs> but I, I at least I've heard of that. And, <clears throat> you know, people who lived their life that way made a big mistake. Others who took life as it came and did the right things at the right time are sitting rather pretty right now, you might say. Right. You know, there, there's a, a passage here in Philippians that that I, I was thinking of. Uh, the Apostle Paul talks about how uh, he was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and he was uh, circumcised the eighth day. He was a tribe of Benjamin. And all these things concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless he says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. He would never have known when he grew up as a young, I say Jewish lad, a Benjamite, uh, but of the, the house of Judah, uh, he would have never realized that there was something better than the life that he had struck out on, education mm. with Gamaliel and, and everything. He was at the, the top of his, his success there. And he he woke up to the realization that there's something far better. And I think that that's the thing that we hope that our young people can at least intellectually realize, that there is something better than this life. Yeah, I think that part of when, I, when I've been personally talking with someone about it is that why why is marriage wonderful? Because what we don't want people to think is, oh, marriage is no big deal. No, actually, mm-hmm. the, the world, America in particular— is suffering from young men who aren't getting married, mm-hmm. who don't see it as something valuable. And of course, with what the world is doing with marriage, you kind of can see them asking, kind of like the apostles, well, boy, what's what's the point of getting married? You know, they're they're able to have a lot of the quote unquote benefits of marriage mm-hmm. without ever having to commit to anybody, you know, and serve and be a husband or a father. But at the same time, we know better. We know there's there's wonderful blessings to that. But at the same time, it's all in perspective. If, if marriage is a blessing, it's because God made it so, but then why did he? He didn't make it so we would constantly for all eternity reflect on the wonders of physical marriage. It was because in this life, the whole point of it is to point forward to our future relationship with Christ and that kind of love and engagement that we will know for eternity. So even if someone happens to say miss out on a marriage in this life for some cause, maybe they die early, which does happen. Uh, Maybe for some reason it just, you know, they're in a circumstance, they're not married, but they're not missing out on the ultimate reality that God is pointing them towards. But on the other hand, marriage is something worth pursuing. It is worth uh, striving for because that future reality, well, on one hand, it puts marriage in perspective that it's not the end all. It's not all there is like the Peggy Lee song. There is something greater that it's meant to point you to. But at the same time, knowing that actually makes the marriage more meaningful when you do have one. Like I know this might be a shocker, but sometimes my wife and I aren't always a hundred percent happy with each other. You know, it's, <laughs> it might usually be one way or the other. I'll let you speculate as to how that is. But, you know, even especially when you're early in your marriage and you're and you're both still full of way too much selfishness that you wished you had got rid of before then. But then part of the perspective that I know, I because I, I married at 22, so I'm thinking 22 and 23, there were those times when the knowledge that, well, what am I doing here? I'm I'm literally 
trying to to work to picture Christ and his church and these things where you feel so hurt that later when you're 35 instead of 25, you realize, well, that was dumb. Why did I take something so personally? But at least it kind of carried me through some of those times and my wife too, to think, well, we're actually doing this for a larger purpose, right? This isn't just about this life. You're trying to to work hard to learn how to picture the next one. And so I, I think trying to to help our teens and young adults who are listening recognize that that no this life isn't everything it's advertised to be what it is in reality is something to point us towards the future joys then it does help us put these things in perspective where like we were talking with mr walker who's here that oh so you don't get to play on the big sports team because of the sabbath or whatever the case is well sure it's disappointing in this life but at the same time you just invested in something so much larger for the Mm -hmm, future And to see that in perspective, but then when you do get to be on a sport team, if you still keep in mind, but everything I'm doing now is to prepare me for this larger reality, then even how you respond to the coach, how you respond to the refs, all of that actually takes, it's kind of odd. It diminishes the meaning in one way, but kind of enhances it in another. Does that make any sense what I'm saying? Yes. Mr. Robinson will tell me if it makes it all <laughs> well, make sense. I can't, it's funny, I'm looking at our notes and I keep thinking, Boy, I want to briefly talk about this other thing. And it's something Mr. Weston said. In fact, I thought, man, did he? How did he see our show prep notes? <laughs> because I, I like to think this this is connected. Um, Satan really has done an incredible job of making the millennium seem boring. The, the kingdom of God seem boring. What are we going to do? We're all going to be farmers again, you know, and make it just seem like it's going to be no fun at right. all. And I think that that's that's something. I don't know. That's one of those things that you really have to, by living God's way of life and beginning to to build faith in God and his plan and what he's doing. And, and as marvelous as things are here now to know, know there really is like there's, you start to realize these things really do. I mean, even right now with the, with the direction our, our country is headed, it seems like, well, what, so what do I want to do? Go out and be an organ organic farmer. That sounds fun, I guess. But like, I don't know. It, it The deck is stacked against us. But just more, I thought maybe we could talk just a little bit more about, because there was a podcast recently, and I, I don't know if I'll, if I'll quote it, where they were talking about, now, now of course, they're referring to mainstream Christianity, as you, as you could imagine, but they were talking about, why are people obsessed with the apocalypse? Well, the apocalypse seems interesting, and people wonder, well, may, how, how could I survive it? What kind of new world would we build out of it? And that in the mainstream Christianity, the idea of going to heaven sounds boring. Uh-huh. And and I thought that that was a really just interesting that they were talking about making that point. And I thought to a lesser degree, we have that in the church a little bit because when I was younger, okay, so what are we doing in the millennium? And, and you know, we have an idea of what we're doing, but it doesn't sound compelling or exciting, maybe not compelling, exciting. Yeah. To- I, you, Ms. Robinson has a quote here in our show prep and you're, you're familiar with, is it Neil Ferguson or Niall, Niall Ferguson? Niall, Niall Ferguson. Ferguson. And he has this comment that Mr. Robinson, it says in reference to the book of Revelation, was he talking about the book of Revelation? Yes. I made that quote. Mm-hmm. The quote here he says is, I won't do it with a British accent or anything, but he says, the terrible truth about the kingdom of God, and he's thinking heaven, just mm-hmm. so you know. The terrible truth about the kingdom of God is that it does sound quite dull. The saints and angels and God himself, they they don't really know how to throw a party. By the way, I like reading Neil Ferguson. I'm not trying to insult his voice. They don't know how to throw a party. We need more than that to excite us. I think the apocalypse is attractive because it's so much more exciting than the ultimate outcome, the utopian outcome of heaven. And yeah, Mr. Robinson was the first one to point that out. Is that yeah, hasn't 
Do you think maybe the, the devil has done a really good job of just making our eternal future seem seem like boring, like it would be boring? Yeah, I, th- I think on every front. I grew up watching Casper the, the Friendly Ghost, you know, uh, but, but nobody really wanted to be a ghost uh, mm-hmm. because somehow that was, you're missing out on something. And it was like they wanted, which is true, Satan would love to be able to inhabit human beings, but... Uh, <clears throat> It's not compelling for a young person to want to become that. I, I always like to think of, well, would you like to be Superman? Now, people like to be Superman or the $6 million man. That that kind of dates me a little bit. <laughs> but to be able to do super superhuman things, maybe a Spider-Man now. I never, I don't watch some of these, so I don't know exactly what it, what it's like. Yeah. But we, we like to be able to do that. The idea that you could just walk through a wall, uh, that's that's interesting. X-ray vision, that's, that's exciting. But... Yes, the whole concept of heaven. I, I remember growing up singing this song at this youth fellowship group I was at for a while. Uh, I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. And all I could see was this old shack <laughs> with the sun in the background. And it just really didn't excite me. Yeah. But, you know, as a young person, uh, fun games are important. I wanted to be a... Uh, a uh, forest ranger uh, when I was younger because I didn't want to sit at a desk. There was nothing interesting to me at, in a desk. Uh, it sounded like school, sounded like something I wanted to get out of. Now I, I have a desk job, uh, and it, it's far more fulfilling than going out in the woods and fighting the mosquitoes and the ticks and, and you know, all the things you have to do that way. So our our, our interests change over time. And if a young person kind of looks back and then looks forward they can realize that, yes, their perspective will change over time. And they just have to accept some of that based on their intellect, not their emotions, because it's hard to, it's hard to separate your emotions from, yes. from your hopes and dreams. Yep. You know, I thought of something similar when you mentioned earlier about the, the young man wanting to make his mark. And mm-hmm. I remember when our children were young and they first started learning to grab a pencil and a piece of paper <laughs> And they've just drawn what they think is the best thing ever. And and you're not even sure what it is. It used to be the most frustrating thing when a child, oh, look, you know, and they, they ask questions about it and you don't even know what you're looking at and you're trying to answer in a way that doesn't disappoint them, but you don't know, is that a car or a horse or mommy or, you know, what is that? And now, of course, then say you're a teenager, you look back and you wouldn't think anything of that mark uh-huh. you made on the paper, right? And maybe now you're an artist and you're taking art class, you're learning different things. And so that perspective looking back does make a difference. And, and it does take a bit of faith to recognize that God, well, say Christ, Christ is now in glory sitting at his father's right hand. And I'm fairly certain he is not wishing he could somehow cast aside his glory to go back to those good old days when he was making an impact in Judah, you know, and talking to people. I I don't think he would trade that for the worlds. And so it's almost... It's hard to pin too many details on the future because God doesn't give us a lot of detail, but to a certain extent, that's part of what trusting him means. Just like mm-hmm. as a child, you have to trust your mom and dad that when they say something, believe me, eating all that candy sounds great. You need to trust mm-hmm. me. It's not great. And one day you're going to love these Brussels sprouts that I, which I did come to love Brussels sprouts eventually. Uh, I'm not saying it's all Brussels sprouts instead of candy in the future. What I'm saying is that that lack of perspective but it takes some faith to recognize that, yeah, that we are almost 
less than children compared to what God is, you know, and that how hard it would be to imagine what that future is and, and what we can do. You know, we do have some parents who listen, Mr. West, and they sit with their kids and mm-hmm. they, they sit in the family and watch. I know this is kind of putting you on the spot. We didn't prep you to say this, but I mean, how, how can maybe those of us who have children, what can we do to help our children look more forward to the future? What is there, is there anything you can think of that you would recommend to help our teenagers or, or younger to, to be able to, to grasp that there is a larger, a larger future and be willing to, you know, be willing to keep that future in mind. Well, you did put me, put me on the spot on that I one. I did put you on the spot. I apologize. Um, no, I, I guess that my advice would be to teach our children the right things to do at the right time. Uh, let, let me give an example. We, we've talked here a little bit recently about the fact that so many of our young people don't know how to work. And if, if parents teach their children how to work and they teach them that there is a reward in work and, and a, a project accomplished, it, it, let's say raking the leaves in the fall of the year, teaching them how to rake leaves. And, and we might take it for granted and think, well, anybody can do that. I, trust me. Not everybody can rake leaves. I have watched teenagers try to rake leaves when I've taken them out. And you have to teach them how to you know, rake them into a, certain piles and pick them up. Uh, that's important. And I think that when we raise children to think that uh, the, the here and now is the, the great reward, we do them a disservice. We need to teach them that there is is value in work and there is value in sometimes pain and suffering and doing things that way uh, to where they, they have a balanced way of life. Too many kids seem to to just grow up and, yeah, they go to school, but they, they may not learn good habits in school. And <clears throat> there, there's no, no reward at the end of, of the, the semester or the year other than just having gotten through it, as opposed to having a lot of uh, pleasure and pride in the right way of having really accomplished something. And I think that somehow that vision of of accomplishment, working toward a greater goal, can be transferred to the kingdom of God eventually in their lives as they mature. So I, I think it's a matter of doing the right thing at the right time in life and getting beyond the pure enjoyment is the purpose of life. Too many young people think that, you know, a roller coaster ride is the answer to everything. And at some point in time, you have to realize that there's a great reward in accomplishing something. You, you mow a lawn and you look over it afterward. And even though you didn't necessarily want to go out and do it, you, you, you realize there was a reward in it and you enjoy it. And those small things, it's the little things in life that way, I think, that add up to big things later on. You know, what you just said reminds me of a principle I've heard you comment on, but also uh, Jonathan and Rod McNair also, which is that our children will value what they see us valuing. Mm. And how can we expect our children to prioritize the larger meaning of things and the, the eternal potential in the things we do today, if they don't see us doing the same thing. And if they see us seeing our large tasks in life as a drudgery or some, or just, we're just living for the weekend where we can get back on the mm-hmm. lake with our boat and not actually valuing 
the opportunity to work with our hands and to are to do accomplish things. Cause I, I feel like I've heard all of you mention that. And I think that is, it's, it's so easy as a parent. I think sometimes I think, Oh, how do I teach my kid this? And I realize that the very first way we do is just by doing those mm-hmm. things. I think even we, we've been talking about this Godzilla movie that uh, we saw uh, recently This good, the good recent Godzilla. He did not see it. Sorry. I, saw it. I mean, I would, but yeah, I, I but my, my kids have really enjoyed those goofy Japanese movies. But we, I never sat them down and said, no, son, you need to appreciate the virtues of a Japanese man wearing a foam rubber suit. They just saw that I I enjoyed them, you know, for the kind of silliness that they were. And so they enjoyed them. So this that. is what you taught your kids. <laughs> I was about to say no regret. Then I'd say, no, they regrettably learned from my example. But yes, that's right. You know, Carl Beiersdorfer made a point to me decades ago. I mean, I think, honestly, 25 years ago. And I'll try to do my best to paraphrase what he was saying. But his point was that here you have Solomon writing the Proverbs to his son and some of the greatest book book of wisdom in that sense. But then we kind of see how Jeroboam turned out. And he says, and he said, this point basically was, though he wrote the book of Proverbs to his son, Solomon's example, and he meant particularly with, with the wives, mm-hmm. said more to his son than the Proverbs mm-hmm. ever did. And just the importance of, as you were saying, Mr. Smith, that we really, you're, you're exactly right. The kids keenly observe us and what they'll observe, what we think is important and, and take on the, you know, what we think is important. They'll, they'll take seriously. But you know, if we're mailing it in, the kids will pick up on that and assume that things are not important. And anyway, yeah, you, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't shout, point. you can't shout over your own example. Right. And, and that, but if your example is, 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 is setting those things, then even if you're poorly communicating it with your mouth, They've seen enough. They can fill in the gaps with what you're trying to say because of how they see you live your life. At least that's my hope. You know, coming back to one thing, as Mr. Robinson noted this, the same question from, from a younger person. And I'll actually just read the way Mr. Robinson wrote, because I think it's really good. And it reminds me of what this, this young lady wrote uh, earlier. Uh, That is the young lady from our podcast uh, almost a year ago. Uh, That seeing that hard times are on the way. And that can be disparaging for a young Mm -hmm. person because we're upfront about it. The Bible does clearly talk about hard times. And so we're not, we're not trying to pretend otherwise. So that's the environment. We, we, we read the prophecies. We see that even if there's possibly an upswing first, which I think kind of be great, you know, if there's an upswing first, but we do know where things are going, then how, how should a, a younger listener, like a teenager or a young adult, uh, how should they think of those times that are coming and we've, we've touched on it, but I, I thought it'd be helped to give more elaborative advice. How should they then uh, plan their lives? Like we have young um, parents now who I've, I've heard secondhand, at least might even be questioning whether they should have children at this right. point. And I, I, I think that's premature that yeah. God has not inspired us all to say, Hey, don't have babies. But what would you advise to some of those who are looking down the road at the next decade of potential difficulty? Well, I would just add to that because you know we both have 20 somethings and they're friends of 20 somethings and they can tell things are not as rosy as they were and they are concerned about the future and there has been the question of do we even have time to have kids yeah so how how might you advise a young person in that regard well one of the things that i probably will speak on this this weekend this family weekend is is not taking shortcuts uh as soon as you think that the time is short people want to do things that Maybe they shouldn't do uh, taking a shortcut 
or in, in this case, is really the opposite of that, not have children. Of course, that's what the world is teaching right now. If you have children, then it's, right. bad, for the, it's bad for the environment. Uh, you, you're breathing too much. You're, you're, you know, you're creating problems just by the fact that you're alive. And God, God shows that children are a blessing, and he never does say uh, that we shouldn't have children. He says that there's coming a time, woe unto those who have children that are, are nursing. In other words, it's going to be a difficult time, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't have children. And if anything, we need to bring children into this world who will be taught the right things and the right way of life. And I, I, I guess I get back to the very simple statement that do the right things at the right time. Uh, when, when you're 13, 14, 15, you know, you, you build your body, you build your mind, uh, you're, you're having fun, you're, you're kind of exploring the world, as it were, uh, 18, 19, 20, 21, you are getting your education, uh, whether it be uh, a trade uh, or whether it be formal education, university uh, education. But that's the time when you do that. <clears throat> and then at, at a certain point in time, it's time to get married. It's time to start looking at least for marriage. Well, take that at the time. Don't, don't try to do that when you're 17, but do it when you're supposed to. And when you get married and you want to have kids, have kids. Uh, I, I think it's a mistake to to stop doing the things you should do. You just don't want to take shortcuts and try to do something sooner or faster because you think time is running out. That's that's the biggest uh, trap. And and here we are. Look at all of us now. We thought that the end would come earlier, and I really do think that we're a whole lot closer now. But um, we don't know. You, you yeah. Know. We mentioned the booklet 1975 in prophecy mm -hmm. from time well, to time and realized I was, I was five. Well, 19... I was going to reference that because so Mr. I've told this story on the podcast. So I'll tell a shorter version of it, but I doubt I've told Mr. Weston, you know, in the, in the early nineties, I was reading, um, all the prophetic books I should have read in my teens, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the beast of revelation kind of thing. And my dad thought I was too preoccupied with, uh, when, uh, prediction addiction kind of thing mm. anyway so out of nowhere he tells me the story about oh, how right. in in 1970 he called he, he was in mineola texas i think it, no it wasn't mineola anyway it was he's in rural texas and he puts a dime in the payphone back when it was a dime and he calls my uncle les and uh he says, "Hey, we're uh, we're thinking about trying to have another child. If we if we conceive by such and such a time and wean him by such and such a time, we should be ready to flee in 1974. I think it was 1974, and that was me. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was 53 years later. Well, uh, so when he would have told me this, I probably would have been uh, around my late 20s, 20, 29, 30, something like that. But to, you know, to totally support, you know, if they had if they had delayed things because we were about to flee." You wouldn't exist. I, I wouldn't exist, and 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 never mind that it has lasted another fifty three years. It's like my my age is like a time marker <laughs> to me of where we were in nineteen seventy. So, so you're saying our yeah. young adult listeners need to decide: is it good or bad that Mister Robinson is in the world? And that's why <laughs> we'll decide. Yeah. But, like, comment down below. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, based on what you're saying, it, it sounds like you know because there's so many verses I didn't think about those. I'm so glad you said that. That that. They talk about children being a blessing, mm -hmm. you know, they're a heritage from God. And yet there's those handful of verses like Christ in the, in the uh, Olivet account talking about, you know, woe to those who are nursing, but Ryan, he, he doesn't say don't have babies. And I would say, 
the only explicit mention I can think of, at least in the New Testament, is where Paul is saying, because of these current difficulties, sure. it's good for a man not to touch a woman. But he was speaking about circumstances they were under, and he was explicitly saying something. Unless God has moved you, you know, say, you know, here in the church to tell us all, hey, things are so bad, maybe it's good to put a... And I'm not hearing anything like that coming out of Charlotte. And if anything, it's the world that is telling everyone not yep. to have babies. And to me, I'm not trying to say if the world says it, it's always the opposite. But to a certain extent, yeah, when the devil is having his chorus consistently say babies are bad, I'm thinking it must be the opposite. Yeah, you have to be suspect at a time like that. Right. And you think about it, the Apostle Paul said, uh, you know, it's better not to marry as he saw it. And I'm no... We don't know exactly the circumstances that he was facing then. Right. But how long ago was that? What if everybody had applied that advice from then until now? Uh, there wouldn't be too many <laughs> wouldn't Christian be children. Now. Yeah, yeah, right. So uh, was he correct in that? Uh, I, I remember Mr. Armstrong saying, well, you know, he was an apostle, and I, I believe he, he really was. And he wasn't sure he agreed with the apostle Paul on that. Of course, <laughs> you have to be careful how you say that because people can take that in a very wrong way. Or run with it. But um, yeah, that was a long time ago. Right. And I wonder sometimes if God didn't move them to give advice in certain circumstances because they thought it might be end times when they were alive, but it wasn't, thankfully, because we're still here, but it gives us actually an opportunity to think of what to do in the end times because they were pondering those things, you know, 2000 years ago or so. Well, it sounds like you are encouraging our young people. Go, go build a life, go plan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, is there anything we haven't hit, Mr. Robinson, that nope, we'd like I to hit? I think that's it. It was Gilmer, Texas, just for the record. Oh, did you look at <laughs> <it up? laughs> No, I think I think that was fantastic and and truly appreciate Mr. Weston's time. I think I as we were trying to approach you to ask what time we could do the podcast, I heard you tell your wife, I, I've got to go work on my sermon. I think you had something else. Like <laughs> a lot of things that you're doing. We really appreciate the time. And, uh, and I thought this was a, a great way to hopefully encourage the kids. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Weston, for being willing to come by. Well, thank you very much. I, you know, I, I dearly love our young people. I, I really do. And and let me let me just say this: that <clears throat> sometimes we don't know why God allows things to happen the way they do. As as you know, my wife and I don't have children, but it gives us a special love for everybody else's children. And so, if God allows you to get married, that's wonderful. If not, then don't fight it. Uh, Put, put your life in God's hands, and I guarantee if you put your life in God's hands, it will work out for the best. Mm-hmm.